Voice Talks presented by Google Assistant is happening each month. You'll hear from industry experts, voice-first influencers, and platform creators each month for a deep dive into our rapidly evolving voice industry. Plus, get your questions answered and a chance to win prizes. Hosted by Sophia Altuna, one of Google Assistant's top industry experts and a leader on the Global Product Partnerships team, we encourage you to register for this free event and join us at voicesummit.ai slash talks. That's voicesummit.ai slash talks. We can't wait to see you there. Kyle Hotsfeld is a technical program manager and Scott Hotsfeld is a software engineer at SoundHound. Not only do these two work together, but they're brothers. They talk about some of the common elements car manufacturers need to consider when designing for voice interfaces in the car, why car manufacturers are choosing to go with a custom solution versus adding Alexa or Google into their vehicles, what kinds of things drivers and passengers should expect to be able to do in their car hands-free today and in the future, how automakers can choose the right voice AI platform to help them build, and more. Hi, Inside Voice podcast listeners. This is your host, Carrie Roberts, and today my guests are two gentlemen from Soundtown, Kyle Haltzved, the technical program manager, and Scott Haltzved, a software engineer. Welcome, Kyle and Scott. Thank you for being here. Hey, great to be with you. Yeah, thanks so much for having us, Carrie. So the two of you not only work in voice, but you work at SoundHound and you're twins. And I would love for you to tell us how you each got into voice and what it's like for each of you to work with your brother. (laughs) Well, I guess this is Scott speaking. We'll maybe have to do this fairly often, uh, identify ourselves. but. I started in voice really as part of a project I did over the summer, a couple of summers in university. So I worked with a group called the Natural User Interface Group through kind of a summer of coding, kind of like an internship, and um, really got interested in the concepts of natural user interfaces in voice through working with them. So it's kind of a natural fit to look for uh, a company that was really innovating in the voice space after that. And I, I owe my involvement to Scott. Uh, he was working at SoundHound as a software engineer. And I've always been very much interested in natural languages as well. I did a lot of... I actually thought that I was going to go into linguistics before going for my computer science degree. So I've always been very interested. And when the position opened up, Scott actually recruited me to SoundHound, which is a pretty strong endorsement. I made it happen to actually work with my brother, and it's been fantastic to do that. I think it's something where we can really bounce ideas off of each other and get cool things done. Yeah, I think part of the reason that I am involved at all is because I do enjoy working with my brother, and also I think that we have a very productive collaboration since we are kind of facing two different sides of the business. I'm trying to drive alignment between our customer and partner needs on one side and our engineering priorities on the other side. Uh, And Scott's really thinking about the technical architecture of the platform. So I think that forms a really good uh, collaboration. And I'm stoked not to have to think about that that other stuff. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. You know, I always think there's something special when you have siblings or a husband and wife or people who've been friends for years that adds a whole nother level to the culture of a company. And so I think that's really special that the two of you work so well together. And I recently talked to Mihai at Mercedes-Benz R&D. He was on the show about their Hey Mercedes voice assistant that's powered by the Houndify voice AI platform. And he talked about some of the decisions they made when deciding what that user interface should look like. As a business partner to many automakers, can you talk about some of the common elements car manufacturers need to consider when designing for voice interfaces in the car? 
Yeah, that's a great question. I actually did listen to Mihai's piece on your show too. It was a very interesting uh, conversation you had. I think cars, the in-car application is not the only application of, of voice interfaces, but it is a great place to kind of showcase the uniqueness of a voice interface today. And you can see that in, in the stuff that Mihai said. Our partners at uh, Mercedes-Benz R&D are experts as well. It's been very fruitful to partner with them to, to create a great experience. But I think the in-car use case, a lot of people talk about safety because that's kind of the, the straightforward thing, right? Right. If you want something that's hands-free, but I think that's good, but it's not the whole picture. You also want to make an interface that feels fluid, easy, and powerful. So it's not just hands-free, but you also don't need your mind to be focused on the cognitive burden of, of adjusting settings and calling people and things like that. You want your mind to be free to pay attention to the road as well as your hands. So there's kind of a set of, I think, common elements that can get you close to that. Yeah, I think regarding the common elements, I think that they fit into a few categories. So the first one that is really, really important, going back to Scott's comment about the sort of fluidity of the interface, it needs to be really easy to discover what features are available and actually use those features in, in a flexible way. So there are lots of different pieces that end up adding up to that fluid and discoverable experience for the customer. The first one really is that it needs to integrate very well with the car's features. That's kind of a prerequisite. But there are other pieces that help this, like uh, having helpful prompts and dialogues, uh, answering the question, how do I use this thing? And uh, I think actually that has to happen both in the software and yeah. in the voice interface itself. Like. If you design a, a product that has a voice interface and just kind of stick it on there with one little button, and that's the only kind of indication that there's a voice interface integrated with the car, it's kind of difficult for people to, to learn what it can do or how it works. People sit down in their new car and you know push the voice button. They're not even necessarily driving. It doesn't have to work well. It doesn't have to be that discoverable if you're not even paying attention to it. But if it has no integration with the car, it's hard to even know what you can say when you go to play around with that functionality in your new car. Right. So it should be an ever-present companion with the rest of the features of the car instead of being kind of siloed off on its own. Recently, I was car shopping myself and I got a lot of mileage out of my older car because I wanted to avoid buying a vehicle that was in the aughts or the 20 teens because I think that the voice interfaces and in general, the, the user interfaces in cars from that period of time uh, really were in a bit of a slump and needed some polish. And we've started pulling out of that. But still, even in my 2019 vehicle of unnamed brand, the voice interface is siloed. It's in a completely separate screen and it doesn't integrate well with the rest of the features in the car. And I guess there's, you know, obviously we could talk about this for a long time, but uh, the other sort of major components that I think on top of that are obviously a good voice interface. So I think... You know, you need to be able to recognize long, complex utterances and do things quickly for the user. But that's kind of very much on the voice interface side. Make sure that that works well. You don't want to say, you know, find me restaurants, but exclude Italian and return Italian restaurants, especially in an in-car voice interface, because that leads the user to want to fiddle with the screen if they get incorrect results, right? And the last thing is you have to think about when you're integrating a voice assistant, what the future looks like as well. So the design that you're putting together is not just what you can do right now, but what you will be able to do. I think Mihai mentioned this actually when he talked with you, that uh, slowly users will start to trust their vehicles more and uh, we need to design for that use case as well. 
you know, it's interesting you were just saying that, you know, if kind of the design of it is not done well, somebody's going to start pushing buttons, which could be a safety issue, which you said is one of the top things people need to consider. Any other unique challenges for successfully implementing these in-car voice assistants? The obvious one is noise that comes up time after time because the audio environment obviously has a lot of road noise that affects how we train models, but ideally that's not something that affects the user experience at all. So ideally that's a challenge that we can solve by improving our speech recognition models. I also think maybe one of the biggest challenges with cars is kind of getting to that last point from previously. Cars have a very long device lifetime compared with other consumer goods. It's very important that you design them to kind of last 10, 15 years in a lot of cases. Yeah. And that's not what you would design like an iPhone to last for, for example. It's really important, I think, that cars, especially with voice interfaces, have connectivity with the cloud and have good sort of software, API, and platform design that can allow the device and its voice assistant to gain new functionality over time. Uh, that's very much an open area. It's, it's hard to actually do that and execute on it. But uh, I think having that cloud connection plus a robust you know, ability to deal with maybe a third problem, which is that network connectivity is a challenge in cars. So you, you want a connection with the cloud, but you also an updatability, but you also want you know, your vehicle to be able to operate without that connection. And kind of striking that balance between being able to update and having it work well is something that, that's pretty challenging. So we actually have an, an embedded hybrid engine uh, at SoundHound that's available for manufacturers where you can simultaneously use an in-car recognizer and a cloud recognizer at, at the same time. And whichever one works best, uh, you can return results from. Yeah, I think those are some unique challenges for cars that maybe don't apply quite as much to other devices. Now, Houndify, for those that don't know, is an independent voice AI platform. Can you talk about why car manufacturers are choosing to go with a more custom solution versus adding Alexa or Google into their vehicles? Yeah. By the way, this is Kyle. If you haven't already figured out (laughs) the distinction between our voices. I think the first point that we always bring to the table is that it's very important for companies, especially automotive companies that often are targeting more of a a luxury segment of the market to be able to retain their strong brands. The automotive industry is obviously very brand centric. The companies behind platforms like Alexa and Google don't have the same sort of interest. They have a different goal with forming relationships with users than their end users being the car manufacturers. So in contrast to that, we want to empower our users, people who are using our platform, to provide a branded and consistent interface with their users. Yeah, that makes sense. I would also jump in here too, just kind of from the technical side. There are some technical reasons to do it too. Much as the Alexa and Google Assistant are sort of self-contained brands, like Google, for example, has their own mapping data We realize that car manufacturers already have agreements in place to use data from some other providers, say TomTom or here are good examples of mapping providers that exist in cars already and that these manufacturers have relationships with. And it's important for manufacturers to retain consistency in in their experience as well. If you talk with your voice assistant and it gives you different results from typing on the touchscreen, that's confusing and potentially damaging to your brain as well. 
Yeah. And as you were saying for Mercedes, I mean, you just say, Hey, Mercedes and it activates. And so I think, you know, what you're talking about here is brand is so important. And so if you want that custom option to really be thinking about that now for drivers who maybe are more accustomed to Alexa or Google assistant or other platforms, do drivers have to choose between a custom option or not? Like, is there a way to get customized voice interfaces and the familiarity of other voice assistants in the same vehicles? Yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, I think there's some interesting kind of technical work in this area. It's limited, but honestly, some interesting political work as well that you can see. Ultimately, I don't really think the idea of talking with a a single voice assistant is the right way to think about it. So you don't really ask your, your barber or your hairdresser about how to fix your car, for instance. When we talk with human experts about things, they kind of have specific roles. And we don't see there as being kind of one single like Alexa that knows all the information about everything. Instead, you kind of assemble a group of experts to help run your life. One way to think about that is that you have kind of a, a plurality of assistants. You have a car that maybe talks to all of them. But I think that's kind of confusing because they're not really well-separated as far as what their roles and responsibilities are. So really the vision for our platform, which we talk about as collective AI, you can have independent kind of domains or programs that know how to understand different things, and they can be independent but help each other out. So the single assistant, single data source model, or even you know having multiple assistants in the same place, I don't really think makes a whole lot of sense. Nothing should really prevent you from talking to Amazon or Google, but no plurality of assistants that are just kind of siloed will, I think, really bring about the seamless experience that I think is important for the future of voice interfaces. I also think that natural language is really the common ground among all of these different voice assistants. And the closer that we get to true natural language understanding, some of the functionality that these assistants provide, it'll be just the same as talking to different humans. Often you'd be able to use sort of the same metaphors and try to approach the conversation in a similar way. So Largely, I think that familiarity with a single voice assistant will become more and more irrelevant over time as they start to have more and more overlap. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Because even if you think about other things we use multiple streams of, so Netflix or Hulu and Disney Plus, you know, people like to have kind of that variety of everything. They don't want to stick with just one thing. So I like that you're bringing that up. When we're kind of thinking about what's going on in the car today, what kinds of things should drivers and passengers expect to be able to do in their cars that's hands-free as of today? And also, how do you see that evolving in the future? As of today, the primary use cases are obviously navigation for the automotive segment and also making phone calls starting conversations with other people. But I think that there are a lot of other use cases that passengers and drivers should expect to be able to do, but are a little bit clunky in today's world. You never play music using a voice assistant. Right. right. I always, it always bugs me. I'm like, use the assistant. <laughs> I always go for the touchscreen because it's just much faster. The voice interface flow that I need to use requires me to select an artist and then wait, and then select an album, and then wait, and then select a song in sort of three separate prompts. So obviously that's pretty clunky, and normally I choose to skip the uh, waiting on a voice assistant and instead just touch the song that I want. So obviously this will get better and more conversational 
as the technology evolves and theoretically could be seamless. But right now, I think that there is sort of marginal support for more complex use cases like that. We were talking about the cloud earlier too, and that's something that I think will start to be more prominent. You look at something like navigation or making calls, as Kyle said, like neither of those things really requires connectivity to, to perform, but you can do that offline. And so we don't typically think about talking with our cars about questions that it necessarily needs to go and fetch the answer to. But I think just general knowledge queries, weather, things like that, that sports scores that take advantage of the power of the cloud are, are going to start to be a little bit more prominent as users, uh, again, back to Mihai's uh, point when he talked with you, start to trust their cars to do more and right. their voice assistants to do more. And I think on top of that, that connects to your whole, not just the outside world, like what's the weather like, what are the sports scores, but to your life's organizational tasks. I, I really think of a personal assistant as being the best for organizing your life. Maybe that's because I need someone to run my life, but things like to-do lists, grocery lists, calendaring, you know, home automation and internet of things, use cases are, I think, will start to be better as we start to have more effective voice assistants. And my dream is that, that you can communicate in, in structured fashion. So instead of you know, being very literal about it, text someone, I'm going to be late for the meeting, which person, you know, here's your message, this is what it says. You can say things more fluidly, like, I'm going to be late for my meeting. Can you tell them when I'll arrive? And it knows your calendar and, you know, maybe who's online at the time and when you'll arrive and conveys that information more intelligently than just like kind of transcribing exactly your words. So I'm excited for that type of thing. And, and I think it slots in to the in-car use case just without any changes to the hardware as well. But tracing back to the original question, I don't think personally that users expect that kind of flow yet. They yeah. expect to have to be very structured in the way that they present queries in order for things to work. And I think that obviously we need to shatter that expectation with uh, more structured, flexible communication like Scott described. Is that, would you say that being able to do that comes a lot from conversational design or is that more from a software side? That's a really good question. Kind of where does it live? I mean, in some ways it's both, but I think that that is very much powered by the interface design that we do on the assistant sort of server side. It's something where right now our voice assistants in general, like the general consumer voice assistants that you typically interact with and think of, they're pretty good at what they do, but they're only targeted at this like command and control, like turn the lights on, play the music, sort of a very limited subset of the general natural language understanding problem because it's an easier problem to solve and do so at scale. But as we start to get better at solving the general natural language understanding problem, I think we'll unlock these different ways of, of applying the technology that makes it seem more like you're having a, a useful conversation instead of just giving simple orders. Do you both have any suggestions for car manufacturers to do to ensure their voice assistants are able to meet future consumer demands? I think going back to one of the points that Scott made earlier, it's really important to allow things to evolve over time so that the voice interface remains relevant. So having some cloud connectivity, I think, is one aspect of a successful strategy that will remain successful over time as the rapidly changing voice assistants get better and better in the next few years. Maybe this is a like a little bit less actionable, less practical advice, but I, I would just say something like, think big. 
there's a lot of really cool user experience that you can build with your brand by using a voice assistant. And if you don't kind of think big and imagine the possibilities of using it and plot a path to get there, you know, then you will kind of be behind on uh, what competitors are doing. So we should think about voice interfaces as not just kind of a feature on the checklist that if you're going to sell a luxury car, it has to have a voice interface, for example, but that uh, you should dream about it as being a, uh, you know, a way to truly delight your users. Now, if automakers are ready, they're like, okay, I want to create a voice as part of our car system, and they're shopping for a voice AI platform to help them build this, what would you say are some things they should be looking out for in order to help them choose the right partner? <laughs> That's a great question. We're probably a little biased on this, but, but yeah. <laughs> but I would say, uh, you know, you should look for something where you have a win-win situation. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. It really needs to have good alignment between the goals of the voice platform and the goals of the product that it's being integrated into. One of the obvious factors for back to the automotive use case is that lots of car companies have customers in the global marketplace in many different markets around the world. So understanding how the partnership scales, uh, what the future potential is, not really going for a voice platform that only supports what they want to do right now. Going back to Scott's point about, you know, thinking big is important. Thinking about things that haven't been done before because they weren't possible before that delight users is really where this technology is going. So choosing a platform that is going in the same direction and is able to scale with the partnership over time, I think is really important. I think on top of that, like, like one of the things that powers that evolution is technology. You should look for a technology that allows you to grow and be extensible and have a global presence. So I guess what I mean by that is you should look for something where you can get, you're launching a car probably worldwide in, in a lot of cases. You should look for a platform that is extensible enough to have the accents that you're looking for in different regions of the world, map data in the right places, even in, in relatively small markets for you. And, you know, I, I think we can even bring that type of thing past automotive manufacturers too for a second. I think all of this applies to general consumer electronics manufacturers that want to add voice interfaces, app developers too. When, when you're looking for a voice platform, I think evaluating the whole package and whether or not the platform is set up technically to be extensible enough to work with the, the, the data and use cases and all the users that you need to serve is really important. Now, you both were mentioning earlier natural language understanding. Can you talk about how natural language understanding is helping truly enhance voice assistance of today? And can you talk about it specifically in relation to Houndify's technology? Yeah, I think natural language technology, it's a very sort of fruitful space right now for companies and researchers. And we think that Houndify's technology is something that's, that's, that's really pushing the industry forward. The way that I think about it, is honestly that natural language technology is what will give us the operating system of the future. So like right now that like applications that we use on computers, websites, they're designed in a relatively primitive way. They, they don't really deal with words in the same way that we do when we're talking with people. They're just dealing with cursor positions and, and key presses and files and folders and things like that. And I, I think that way of thinking is more constraining than we really think about very often. I think of natural language as kind of the layer of intelligence that is capable of hooking together 
all of the context from all of your services and data. That has to be natural language. The assistant doesn't just recognize and understand queries, but it needs to understand where your calendar appointments are, assuming that you've chosen to share that information, or maybe it's running locally on your device or something like that. You know, natural language is, is a kind of a necessary component to having an assistant that, that truly does useful tasks, in my opinion, that, that aren't pre-programmed and very constrained. Just to add to that, I think that natural language understanding, as opposed to just a, a really limited, let's just call it language understanding, turns a voice assistant from being a layer that can fulfill just a, a certain fixed number of requests in sort of the way that I think about it is a list of buttons and you can say the name of each button and it does something. I think that adding true natural language understanding to a voice assistant allows you to escape that rigid framework of supported commands and really approach a more, again, fluid and flexible and discoverable experience for users. Yeah, you were telling me the other day about something from linguistics. Oh, yeah, I think it's called linguistic relativity. Uh, sometimes the, yeah, the spear warp hypothesis. Yeah. yeah, that concept is very interesting in this space. It's, it's basically the idea that there is a very tight relationship between the words that someone knows in their language and the concepts that they can think about. Do you remember what the study was, Scott? I think that you found a study that was interesting in this area. Yeah, I don't remember it exactly, but it had something to do with languages that have more words for like a given color. The, the people that actually uh, speak that language natively have an increased ability to perceive slight differences in those shades of colors. Got it. So if you have more words for green, then if you have words for slightly different shades of green, then you're actually better at perceiving the difference between those things. Yeah. And so I think back to your point, it's kind of interesting to this button analogy is actually not something that I've thought of, but I, I think that's tightly related here. If the language that you have affects the way that you can think or affects your cognition, which is kind of the superior wharf hypothesis, our computers have a very limited language right now, which is just the buttons that you can click on. But right. if you extend that with natural language, it just inherently dramatically expands the universe that's possible. And I think kind of the, the, the last thing with Houndify's technology is that uh, I mentioned this idea of collective AI before. But collective AI is kind of our internal term for the way that we think of natural language technology being an exponentially increasing way of specifying sort of requests and, and thoughts to a computer instead of one that's linear. It's kind of this exchange where different pieces of the system can interact without being explicitly programmed together, which is a completely different paradigm from just setting up a set of spoken commands or, or buttons, as Kyle said. I, I think you can imagine doing something like, what was that pizza place that I went to with Jeremy in Santa Cruz or something like that, uh, where it's a thought that kind of goes between the domains or programs that you would think of as like calendar and contacts and maybe map data to produce something that's an extremely complicated request. But the way that we've architected our system, we can actually fulfill that type of thing that, that crosses these boundaries. And the fact that we can do that is a, an exponential increase in the functionality that exists. And I think natural language and kind of specifically the extensible uh, architecture that, that we've put together is key to that being a useful technology in the future. That's extremely exciting. And I think that's one of the reasons I love the work that all of you are doing over there. And in a recent conversation I had with someone at Soundtown, she had said that voice first doesn't mean voice only. 
when she said it, I was like, oh, light bulbs went off because I think sometimes in voice, we're so excited about it and everyone's like, well, I still want to do other stuff. But it's really about, again, voice first isn't voice only. Can you explain what that means from an in-car point of view? Sure. Yeah. I think that voice first, it's a trend that I think is particularly exciting, especially working in the voice industry. But really, I think the idea here is that we shouldn't be thinking about voice as the way to activate features, but rather as sort of an augmentation of existing features, a a superpower. Uh, It shouldn't make things harder or clunkier, uh, or it shouldn't even change how you do things, but rather it should make it easier. It should provide an alternate way to do things that are already possible. I'm imagining like turn on the right blinker or something like that. Yeah, like that's yeah. never something that you would want to do. Right? Exactly. I added voice to my car now. Hey, Mercedes, turn on the blinker. Yeah, exactly. It's not something you would do, but it's like voice plus, right? And I actually think that there's some additional applications to that that could be very exciting too. It's maybe not even just voice or something else, you know, where where you you have multiple options, but you can actually have voice and something else. You can point at some building and say, you know, hey, what is that? I think that the interfaces of the future will definitely incorporate voice as kind of an important component, but it's not always the best tool for the trade. Got it. So you think that voice can add some additional information, but you might be you might be gesturing at something in the car. You might, yeah, that makes sense. Now we talked about a ton of stuff today. You both are a wealth of knowledge and are extremely passionate about all of this. If people want to learn more about what we talked about or they have questions, where's the best place for them to connect? If people have questions, you can certainly send them to hello at soundhound.com we can get back to your questions. And I I put in a plug to visit our blog as well. If you're interested in engaging, I think that's voices.soundhound.com to keep track of what's happening at Soundhound. Perfect. Well, thank you, Kyle and Scott. This has been wonderful. Again, I congratulate the work that you all are doing over at Soundhound. I love that two brothers are working together to create (laughs) this whole nother level in voice. So thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thank you so much for giving us the chance to talk with you and your your listeners. Thank you for listening to the Inside Voice podcast. We greatly appreciate you being a part of our community. And if you enjoyed this episode or you like the podcast, we would love it if you would subscribe, follow, like, share, leave a review of the show. If you have any questions, comments, feedback, people you want to see on the show, things you want to learn, feel free to send us an email at kerry at modev.com. That's K-E-R-I at M-O-D-E-V.com. And be sure to check us out online at voicesummit.ai. Thank you. And we look forward to chatting with you next week.